So last week, if you remember, we started our block party series. Todd talked about our story. But this week, I want to take the focus off ourselves and, and put it on something else. This week, I want to talk about our neighbor. So, you know, if, if you've been around church a while, or maybe you haven't, you'll hear, you know, God calls us to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. So I was thinking, you know, who are some people in my life that are my neighbor? I have one guy that I've, I've lived by for some time. He's my actual neighbor. He lives next door. We've known each other since we were about eight years old. His name's Trey, and me and Trey have a lot in common. Me and Trey have played basketball together. We play football together. He went to Hiram. I went to East Paulding. That might have been the only difference. But other than that, me and Trey had a lot in common. It was fun living beside him. He is my, he's my neighbor. Well, there's another guy that I live beside that is also technically my neighbor, but he's a little bit, he's a little bit different than me. He's just a little bit, not strange, but just no similarities. Me and him have no similarities. He, when he moved to, to where he's at now, beautiful house that, that he lives at, beautiful property. As soon as he moved there, he put up a chain link fence. Nothing wrong with a chain link fence, but you got to know we're talking about, this is a beautiful place back in the woods where he lives. He put up a chain link fence and we kind of asked him one day, you know, why, why, put, why put the fence up? You know, there's, there's not a lot of people back here. He's like, man, I, I just, I don't know what's, I don't know what's outside. I don't know what's outside. It, it kind of freaks me out. I like feeling secure inside my fence. So that set the tone for a very strange relationship with my other neighbor. So who's, uh, who is, who's your neighbor? Maybe someone you live beside, but who do you value? Who do you love? Who do you interact with on a day-to-day basis? Who do you rub shoulders with in the hallway? You know, if we're trying to define our neighbor, I guess we got to know really what a neighbor is. A neighbor could be someone we love and someone we hang out with, but I feel like if God tells us to love our neighbor like we love ourselves, there's got to be something a little bit more to it than just people we already hang out with. That seems too easy. We already hang out with these people that we call our neighbors, we're friends with them, we love them. That's easy. We can love them like we love ourselves. God must be talking about someone else, another people group. We've defined neighbor this way for the sake of this series. Neighbor is anyone God brings across your path. If you were here Sunday, you might have heard Brian say that a neighbor is anyone who God brings across your path. But where do we, where do we see examples of that in the Bible? Where can we in the Bible see where maybe Jesus encountered someone that God brought across his path? So that brings us to John 4, and if you have time on your own, I would love for you to read John 4 all the way to John 5. It's an amazing story, but for the sake of time today, I'm going to summarize most of it and read you a couple key parts. So in John 4, starting at about verse 4 or 5, we see Jesus is walking through a place called Samaria. Now, Samaria back then 
would not have been the hangout for a Jew like Jesus was, but Jesus was passing through. And Jesus comes to this well in Samaria called Jacob's Well, comes to this well and spends time there at about noon. Him and the disciples are resting. They've come through a a lot of, uh, they were baptizing people and Jesus was into his ministry. So a lot of awesome things were happening. And this is just showing the human side of Jesus just resting by a well. And all of a sudden, well, let me say this first, 12 o'clock noon at a well in that time wouldn't have been the place where people would go if you were of stature or if you were an important person in the town. If that was you, you would have already gone to the well at nine, early morning, You would have gotten the water you needed for your day, for your family, for your livestock, whatever, and you would have started your day. But for someone to come and get water for their family at 12, maybe they were an outsider. Maybe they weren't welcome when everyone else came to get their water. So already the Bible specifically tells us this was the sixth hour or at noon. So we know it's a time of the day that not a lot of people would normally be at the well. Now, as we read through John 4, I want you to know this. This is the longest one-on-one account Jesus has that's recorded in the Bible. The dialogue that goes on between Jesus and this woman, this Samaritan woman that he meets at the well, is the longest one-on-one back-and-forth conversation that Jesus has with anyone else in Scripture. So this is important. Jesus obviously wants us to know what he's saying to this woman, and I believe it's the perfect setup conversation that we as Christians should have. So let's go through, Jesus is coming through, disciples have gone, they're out of the picture, they've gone to the town to get food, recollect, Jesus is still in his ministry. So he's sitting down at the well, taking a break, and he looks over to this Samaritan woman that's beside him and says, can I have a drink of water? Simple. But the thing about this that is odd is that this was a Samaritan woman with a questionable past. She had five broken marriages and she was living with a guy that wasn't her husband. And Jesus just simply asks, can I have a drink of water? Her response really sets the tone for how society was at that time. Verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, at that time, a Samaritan, woman or man, would not have associated with a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. If they were to pass each other on a road, a Samaritan and a Jew would probably try their best, as a lot of us do in hallways today, to not make eye contact with with that person or, you know, that Different, we don't, we don't want to talk, no conversations, keep walking, mind my own business. That probably would have been what would have happened in the time for a typical Jew and Samaritan. But you got to know, this is Jesus. And Jesus, as Jesus does, says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So basically, Jesus is setting up the gospel here. 
He's kind of foretelling what he would one day do at the cross. And that's what he's saying, living water. But the woman here, pay attention, she is not on board yet. She doesn't quite know who Jesus is. So she says to him in response, you have nothing to draw the water. This well is deep. What do you get? What is this living water? She's pretty much saying, what are you talking about living water? We've came to this well for years and years and years. Even Jacob and his ancestors came to this well. It's been good enough for us up until now. What's this living water you have? And that's Jesus for you. She doesn't know exactly what's going on, but Jesus knows exactly how to articulate this conversation. He's laying out the gospel. Jesus then says, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus here is, like I said, setting up the gospel. And this woman at the time, she's okay. She's kind of understanding what's going on. Then Jesus goes on later to tell her everything she had done. She, he says, bring your husband, which he knows she doesn't have a husband. She's just living with the guy. And when she says she doesn't, Jesus is like, oh, I already knew that. And you have five broken marriages too. So Jesus is basically just telling her everything she had ever done. But because of his grace, he gives her the gospel instead of ignoring her. He shares his love with her. He values her instead of passing her up as everyone else in the time would have. So Jesus then sends the lady from the well. She's excited. She's even told that she, it's even told that she leaves her bucket. She's so focused on living water. She's not worried about the water she needs the next day. She leaves her bucket. She leaves it behind. And she's telling everyone, all her family and friends and people in Samaria about the man who told about everything she had ever did and about what he had came to do, and it must be the Messiah. That's what she's saying. And as a result, Jesus has pretty much sent this lady off to reach the Samaritan world, which hadn't been done yet. So Jesus uses this questionable woman, again, according to society, not Jesus' neighbor, and sends her and uses her to reach the Samaritan world. Now, If we step back for a second, we always want to land at a spot after reading scripture, especially about Jesus, and say, okay, Jesus, what does this say about you? What does this say about your character? Jesus engaged anyone the Father brought across his path. Jesus didn't pass up this person or that person. He specifically loved and valued each person God brought into Jesus's path. Maybe they weren't walking down an actual path, but they might've been the only two at the well at the time. Jesus took that as, okay, God, you have put this person in my life. She needs to hear, she needs to hear what, what I've got to say. She needs to hear about me. So just understand, if we know our neighbor is anyone God brings across our path, And Jesus obviously does a great job of interacting with this woman. We need to understand that this woman at the time was culturally different than Jesus. Like I said, Jew and Samaritan, they would not have mixed. They would not have 
been friends. Jews and Samaritans would not have interacted with each other. They were socially different. Five broken marriages this woman had would have made her barred from society to interact with anyone else. She would have been an outcast. She would have been an outsider. People would have made fun of her and made sure that they weren't caught with her in any way. They were also religiously different. You say, Jesus witnessing to someone who is religiously different than he is? This lady believed a lot of different things that was true about Jesus. She believed at a different place of worship, that Jerusalem wasn't the place of worship. We could go on and on, but Jesus put that aside. This woman crossed her path. At the time, if Jesus had completely ignored this woman, the disciples, the woman herself, probably wouldn't have cared. Really, no one would have cared. Honestly, they would have cared more in the opposite way that Jesus did speak to her. That would have left more of a negative impression, as if he just let her go. I I truly believe that this is the longest longest one-on-one dialogue that's recorded for specific reasons. I think mostly, though, because this lady was nothing like Jesus. She was not Jesus' neighbor in any way. It would have been uncomfortable to be around the conversation. So, and we might say, man, you know, I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have seen that. I wish I could have seen Jesus do all these amazing things and talk to this woman. But, but do we, do we wish we were there? Do we wish we could have seen that? Because if it's anything like society today and culture today, we might've been the people nudging Jesus and saying, look, It's not a good look, Jesus. Don't hang around her. You've got a lot going for you, Jesus. You're healing people. You're the son of God. Jesus, don't, just don't talk to her. And as soon as he would have said, hey, can I have a drink of water? Everyone would have went, oh, there he goes again. Talking to these people. People that are outcast and people that are weird. People we shouldn't be talking to. But why? Why does Jesus continue to do this? Why does he continue to talk to these people, to reach out and show love to these people who crosses his path, who are his neighbors? Once again, as Jesus does, later in the Bible, in Luke 15, he answers his own question in the form of a parable. A parable is a story that Jesus uses to communicate something that maybe didn't happen but could happen, He's using aspects of the story that directly relate to how he loves his children, how he loves creation. So he uses a a parable in the form of a lost coin. Verse eight, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin in the same way I tell you there's rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. This is Jesus now. And he's telling the story of a woman who had a coin collection. She loved these 10 coins she had. Maybe it was $10 or maybe it was just 10 silver coins, Chuck E. Cheese tokens. 
She has 10 of them and she loses one. So she sweeps everywhere. She sweeps the house, which means she's looking frantically. She's looking under the couch, looking under the rug, looking in drawers, and she finally finds it. Now, we don't know how long it took for her to finally find it. Maybe it took years. Maybe this lady was up in age by the time she finally found the coin. But she said, it said that she calls her friends over, has a party because she found her one coin. How many coins did the party cost? How many did she have to lose to buy drinks and food for the party? But that's the thing we see time and time again that God's value is much different for us than what we see. Our face value is much different than what society tells us it is or what culture tells us it is. See, the coin either is us or was us. Either we at some point started following Jesus, we were that found coin. Angels in the presence of God were rejoicing because we're the found coin. We found Jesus. Jesus saved our lives, gave us hope. Or maybe we still are. Maybe we still are the lost coin. Maybe some of us in the room might be thinking, you know, I'm kind of a skeptic of this. I'm still kind of feeling it out. Maybe you can feel Jesus tugging at your heart. Maybe that is us. Maybe, Maybe some of us in here are the lost coin. Jesus saw the woman as a lost coin. He knew about her past. He knew what she had done and who she was living with. He cared, but it wasn't going to stop him from sharing his love with her. He valued this woman. He loved this woman. If I can leave you guys with anything specific today, I want to challenge us to have more of a view on people like God has for us. If we can view maybe that person in the lunchroom or maybe on your campus somewhere, it's just a little bit odd or maybe it's not like you. If we can view them like Jesus did and love them no matter what and share God's love with them, no telling what would happen. What holds us back from doing that? Social barriers, cultural barriers, people we just know that we shouldn't go around or shouldn't talk to. As I pray really quick, I wanna pray over this group of people specifically. That we as Westridge Church student ministry, specifically high school, Reckless, would be a group of people that no matter what campus you're on, people can look at you and say, hey, they've got Jesus. I know no matter what I'm like, I can be around them. They'll love me. They'll share Jesus with me. Let's pray, guys. God, thank you for this group of people. Thank you for everything that you have blessed us with as a ministry. I ask that we wouldn't go Wednesday after Wednesday and just sit back and say, hey, you know, this is fun. I ask that we would grow. We would grow in your love and we would take verses and parables like we've read and you've given us as fuel to go into this world who's hurt, who's lost and broken and share that love like you shared with the woman at the well. 
God, that woman at the well had no one else. No one else would have talked to her. No one else would have paid attention to her, but you loved her. I thank you, God, again for these students. I pray that they as small groups, they as groups of ninth graders or 10th graders or 11th or 12th would come together and realize this community and these students need you. They don't need another controversy. They don't need another social barrier. We've got enough of those. They need you. God, I love you. Thank you for everything you've given me and blessed me with. In your name I pray. Amen.